0: Good morning, church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord together this morning, yes? Amen, yes. Uh, If I have not met you, my name is Andrea. I am one of the pastors here and want to welcome you to Christ City Church. Um, We are just excited that you're here. I am still excited to be in person. Um, It hasn't been that long and it also has been a super long time, so, you know, how does time work anymore? I don't know. Um, But we want to welcome you, particularly if this is one of your first Sundays here. Um, I know that that can be a a weird, strange experience, and particularly after we've been apart for so long. So welcome. I want to welcome our friends on our YouTube channel. Welcome out there. Um, I'm excited today because we are starting a new sermon series today. Yes. Yes. Not that the old one was bad. It was good. We're just excited (laughs) to keep going, right? (laughs) Right, <laughs> just make the distinction, that's right, momentum. We are starting a new series today, and uh, the series that we're going to be in for the next six weeks is called Truth and Lies, Truth and Lies. Um, the creative pieces that are here on either side of the, the rug this morning uh, were made by Jill Markheim in the back here, yes, this is her creative representation of, of this series of, of Truth and Lies. Um, We're going to be exploring this uh, very, I think, universal human predicament, this tendency that we have to believe things that aren't true, Um, believe things that aren't true about ourselves, um, about God, about the world, about other people. Um, A series on lies could be a pretty pretty broad topic, kind of big. Maybe you're seeing the name of this series and you're wondering if we're going to talk about I don't know, fake news um, or like white lies, um, or if this is gonna be like a deep exploration into truth telling. Um, I think all of those things inevitably may come up. Um, but, and because so much of it is connected, right? While so much of it is connected, we obviously can't cover it all. Um, but our aim for this series is to name. Lies that find their way into our minds, into our hearts, into our lives. We want to name them. We wanna recognize their influence on us and then we wanna be reminded of truth. That's a pretty big topic too, huh? So we're hoping that this series, we're, we're, what, we're not, what we're not aiming to do is, is give you some like answers. Like here's a lie and here's the answer and that's this is not what we're aiming to do. I feel like that's not on brand for us anyway. Um, But we are hoping that this series will start some conversations um, around the nuance of of what lies are, um, how they affect us, and what we do about them. So this is our series, Truth and Lies. So I've been thinking about lies for the past couple of weeks, that's been real fun. Um, But as I've been thinking about it and considering all these, uh, the nuance of this conversation and this idea of what a lie is, um, I got to thinking about um, earworm songs. Do you know what I mean when I say that, the earworm song? Um, The songs that like get stuck in your head, usually like in a repeating loop. Um, My family goes through earworm seasons, like where one of us, one of the four of us inevitably has like a song stuck in their head, usually in the morning, and then transfers it to the rest of us, like for the rest of the day, multiple days in a row. Uh, The past few seasons, it's really been a lot of Disney. Um, Most recently, it's been We Don't Talk About Bruno, yeah? I feel like the thing with We Don't Talk About Bruno is everybody gets a different part of Bruno stuck in their head, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um sometimes I still wake up humming the uh, double rainbow song. Do you guys remember that from like years ago? Oh. Double rainbow all the way. That one? Yeah. Uh, now you're gonna be singing it the rest of the day. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. Earworm songs. What are the what are your earworm songs? You got some? The ones that like you wake up and you get stuck in your head. Never gonna give you up. Never gonna oh. give you <laughs> up. That's a great one. Great one. Earworms? Just me? Any part of any part of Hamilton <laughs> that's yeah, yeah yeah. yeah. Anybody else? You're, oh, oh yes mm. <laughs> Perfect, perfect. The earworm songs and like they can be from years and years and years ago, and somehow they just find their way back into your head. It's very frustrating. Um, so I was uh, this this idea like I was thinking about earworm songs and so <clears throat> like a good millennial, I Googled um, about earworm songs and like was reading the internet science about it. You know, internet science is a very particular kind of science. Um, Thank you. It's not extensive, but it was still very interesting to me. So I was reading that most earworms are very simple. They're usually like a part of the song. They're not the whole deal. And when a song gets really stuck in your head, it actually can affect your whole body. And maybe we don't think about this. So like when you have a song stuck in your head, you might involuntarily start singing it out loud. I've never done that. (laughs) You might like start tapping your pen to the beat. Um, It can also affect the speed at which you walk, like the pace at which you walk. I thought that was so interesting. It can affect us so much that there are songs that are specially manufactured in order to worm their way into our heads and affect our behavior, like commercial jingles. We could probably list a bunch of those, too. The melodies, are, there's something sticky about them, right? There's something sticky about the things. It's, it's so interesting, though. I think lies can be a lot like earworms. They're powerful. They get They're sticky, and they stick into our souls and our hearts, and they sneak into our psyche and our core very unannounced or in ways that we don't realize in so many different ways. And lies aren't easy to pinpoint all the time. They get mixed up in reality a lot of the time. And there are lies that echo in us like a song on repeat in your head over and over again. And we're exposed to them when we're just like walking around. There's music everywhere. Sometimes they come from inside of us like a melody. But sometimes they're manufactured to be extra sticky too. And we don't even realize that like they're living outside of us too when we're singing out loud or we're changing the pace at which we walk because of the rhythm that's playing over and over in our heads. So we've named some earworm songs and there are many more I'm sure where that came from. Don't sing them now because then we, nobody will be able to get anything done this afternoon. But I wonder if I, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to ask you, but I wonder if I did, if I asked you right now to name some lies, to name some scripts that play in your head and in your heart, how you might answer that, if you could name a few, if you were able to articulate them. In preparation for this series, I asked the staff and some friends to do that, to name their lies to me, which was a humbling experience, I think, for all of us. Hearing them name these scripts that play for them was tough. Um, but I also resonated with so much of what they said. It was big lies, big ones like you are not enough. Who do you think you are? You are a burden to everyone. My value comes from what I do, from what I produce. You'll never be good enough or smart enough or accomplished enough to be worthy of any number of things. It's been vulnerable for me to name the lies I'm tempted to believe or do believe a lot of the time too. And it's been very challenging for me to recognize the way I change my behavior and I I allow myself to be formed by things that are not true. It's like being held captive by like a foundational idea that isn't actually reality, but it can affect everything. Our anchor verse for this series comes from 2 Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 5. Paul writes to the church as he's addressing false teachers, he's addressing accusations and lies. This is the verse. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So over the next few weeks, what we want to do is name some lies that we are tempted to believe. We want to examine where they come from, how they affect us, and then we want to explore together what it means to take those lies captive and walk in the freedom of truth. So each week on Sundays, the sermons will look at a different lie or script, how how they resonate with the preacher, It's kind of a vulnerable vulnerable little series for us. In our small group gatherings through this series, we're going to be asking these questions together. How these lies resonate with us. How we see them affecting our lives. How we see them affecting the lives of others. And our hope in naming them, the naming the lies is to be pointed again, always and again to Jesus who embodies truth and to be guided by the spirit who brings truth. Our hope for the series is not to corner us into these like cliche, very like binary conversations, but to engage with the nuance and the in real time movement of the spirit in our actual lives and in our context. So our text for this morning comes from the book of Genesis A little, real quick, a little bit of background about Genesis. Genesis consists mostly of narratives. It's likely started as oral traditions before they were written down. Scholars are not fully clear on the authorship of Genesis. Um, These narratives served the nation of Israel, though, as theological narratives. So they were using stories, they were using narrative to better understand and proclaim theological reality, okay? What God is like. What people are like, what the relationship between God and people is like. I think we can get stuck with Genesis sometimes. Like we either get stuck in this the confusion of whether or not the Genesis narrative is history or myth, or if we we get stuck in our own like familiarity of it, it becomes very cliche. Um, It's okay that Scripture doesn't have the answers. Okay, I want to just put that out here. That's okay. It's okay when Scripture causes challenge for us. It's okay when it causes confusion. If scripture is a word of God, and if it is active and alive, it is meant to be engaged in our current context and all of their nuances and not reduced to these formulas, right? So we're looking at Genesis, at this Genesis text today, and we're focusing on how scripture points us towards theological development, towards our own understanding of God and of ourselves and of the world. And we're looking specifically at Genesis 3 this morning because this is the first time in the scripture narrative where a lie is told. The first time where a lie is told, the first time where a lie is believed by human beings and then goes on to affect what those human beings believe and what they do. So we're looking at Genesis 3. Genesis 1 and 2, you might be familiar a little bit, um, contain the creation narrative. So God as creator has made the world, Uh, God has made all of its beings, including humans named Adam and Eve in this narrative. And they've been given a place to live, they've been given food to eat, they've been given another human being to be in community with. Um, Together, the two of them have been given agency, they've been given authority over creation, they've been given a purpose to attend to and a role as co-creators with the Lord. And in this place, God has called everything good and that idea has not yet been opposed in one and two. In chapter two, God uh, does give them a clear boundary. This is what God says. You may freely eat out of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. This is a boundary that's given to them. But God has recognized... in in chapters one and two as the source of goodness, and a relationship founded on trust is built between the human beings and God. So that's where we are as we come to today's text in chapter three. So we're gonna start at verse one. This is Genesis chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, the garden, alongside the rest of creation, they're faced with this first opposition to something that they know is true. A boundary that has been given to them by their good God is being tested. There's like a question mark that's being added to a truth that they already know. And a little door is cracked open for a lie to come in and stick. When we think about lies, I think the common definition that we think about is that a lie is a complete fabrication, like it's a full falsehood. And sometimes that is the case, okay? The lie given in verse four begins with a full untruth. You will not die. We recognize that as completely opposite of a truth that God has already spoken in chapter two. Sometimes lies come at us full force like that, as complete falsehoods with no basis in reality, like the opposite of truth. And we can be very susceptible to those. Trickier though, I think the next part of the lie given in verse 5 is what I think is a more common kind of lie. So it's the truth with a distortion, with a twist. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what the serpent says is true at face value, right? God does know that if they eat of the tree, they will have a new kind of knowledge that they didn't have before. But the lie underneath underneath of this truth, though, is that God cannot be trusted, that God told them that they would die in order to keep something from them that they were entitled to. So this boundary that was given by God has now been distorted into a threat. This given truth now feels no longer safe, but it's become some kind of a barrier to overcome. Walter Brueggemann describes this as a distortion of the realities. And he writes that the serpent says back God's speech in just enough of a twist to miss the point. It's the truth, but there's a little twist to it. Lies are not always full untruths. They are more often truths that have been distorted, or they're half-truths, or they're truth uh, with a twist. They're truth, but with a little false addition on the end of it. Like it's right to find appropriate value in good work, right? God has called us to partner with the spirit. And that means that there's work in the world for us to do. But when we hear that truth with a twist, my value lies in the work I do. Or when we hear that truth with an addition, the work I am called to is good. And it is what defines my identity that's what begins to cycle. That's what begins to earworm into our lives as a lie. And it's so much so that it affects what we do. We can begin to live it out without even realizing it. In the Genesis narrative in our text today, Eve takes this distorted truth and she passes it along. Sharing that earworm. She passes it along to Adam. Verse 6, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. There isn't even dialogue recorded here. <laughs> Eve embodies a distorted truth, and in doing so, lies to her partner. And then later in the text, Adam keeps his earworm going. <laughs> he twists the truth by trying to shirk responsibility and blame the whole thing on Eve when he's asked by the Lord if he ate from the tree. Uh, she made me do it. Like... The earworm, the lie, lives on. The distortion lives on. Because lies have power. Lies are powerful. They inform our beliefs, which then influence our actions and our motivations. That's very powerful. Lies get after the core of reality. That's what they're out to do, to stick to these core things that we know is true, and then confuse us about who we are, about what we do, about where we find our value, about who God is, who, what God does, right? It confuse, Lies confuse us about our relationship to other people. And When there are distortions of truth, it can be really tricky to determine where the twist is. And sometimes the twist can even feel beneficial to us, like the distorted truth appeals to us. When the lie about the tree is presented to Eve, the text does not say she acted immediately. There's this sentence of consideration, right? Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. So like the rest of us, Eve considered the benefit of accepting this distortion as truth. Maybe she wasn't doing it consciously. She looked at the tree. It was good for food. That's practical. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes. It was appealing. And, that, and she knew that it would make one wise. That is a benefit to her. And that's when she takes it and eats. There's this lore of power here, right? There's this human tendency to redefine God-given agency of self, as self-sufficient agency. And once a lie starts to cycle around in us, those scenes get really confusing. The lie gets in, it grabs a hold, and then reality becomes distorted. We are very susceptible to these earworm lies and they are everywhere, everywhere. In this particular story in our text today, the distortion of the truth, the lie, comes from a serpent. This is what's named in the story. So it's right to note here that the narrative does not explicitly describe the serpent as Satan, okay? Even though that's a common representation that's taught when we learn about this story, when we have learned about this story. It also does not explicitly describe the serpent as like the whole embodiment of evil or wickedness, necessarily. It says what it says. It's a serpent. It's an animal in the garden with them. The first lie in scripture comes from another creature in the garden with Adam and Eve. It comes from a part of the creation God has deemed good in the preceding chapters of Genesis. Now, I, I don't want to undermine the significance and the reality of spiritual warfare. That's very real. We've said this before. Here, there is the Holy Spirit and there are unholy spirits. We do not live in a neutral world. There is a force that opposes the kingdom of God and the kingdom's work in our lives and in the world. There is an enemy. It's right for us to name that. And it's right for us to name that sometimes lies do come from unholy unholy spirits in all their mystery and the ways we don't understand exactly what that means, right? But it's also right to recognize that sometimes lies don't come from mysterious places. Sometimes they come from other created beings, both individually and through the systems and the structures that created beings create. So consider the lies that racism is built upon, okay? in which people of color are told that they are less valuable, that they are inferior to whiteness. Is the enemy at work in that system? Yes. Can people of color lie to themselves about their own value? Yes. (laughs) But people of color in this country have been told the lie that they are lesser primarily by other created beings, by other people, and then by the systems created by other people. Is Pride Month. Consider the lies that are heard by our queer siblings about their identity and their worth. Is the enemy at work in that system? Yes. Can queer folks lie to themselves about their own value? Yes. But they have been told the lie that they are less worthy, that they are less valued primarily by people and by the structures created by people. We are fed lies by other created beings and in the structures we live within, like the societal and cultural water that we swim in. We're bombarded by like ads all the time, claiming to appeal to our true worth, to our identity daily, hourly, depending on how often you're on your phone. We're bombarded by these claims that we are in control, that we That our agency that we have actually should be used as power, power wielding. And it affects us and it affects other people. And Eve makes this decision to accept a distortion, a lie, as truth, not just for her, but for Adam too. And the agency and the authority given by God becomes distorted. there are certainly ways that human beings are more or less susceptible to certain lies because of systems and structures. Right? So as a, for myself, as a woman of color who is called to pastor in a particular big C church system and in spaces that have been built primarily by and for white males, I have found I'm particularly vulnerable to lies about my belonging here in this role, my qualifications, my ability to hear God. With these, these kinds of lies, it's like the, the who do you think you are variety of lies. Mm-hmm. I think that anybody, those kinds of lies are able to become earworms to anybody, okay? Regardless of race, regardless of gender. And I also recognize the way that the system, the lack of representation, The stunting of my own imagination leaves an opening. It leaves an empty space for a catchy little earworm, a sticky little lie to just wiggle its way in there and take hold, so much so that I can even begin to build upon the lie and start lying to myself. Who do you think you are? What makes you think that you can do this? You are mistaken. Sorely mistaken, you should quit. (laughs) I'm just being real with you this morning, okay? It might sound wild or maybe that sounds very familiar to you. Lies are everywhere, everywhere. We hear them from the outside and then we hear them from the inside. Naming what the lies are and where they come from is our task, and this is what we're aiming to do together over these next few weeks. What are the earworms? What are the scripts that play on repeat? What narratives are we believing right now? Are they true? Are they false? How do we know? We're also asking together what it means to take false narratives captive this is our anchor verse. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What does this mean? How do we do it? It's been interesting, I think, to think through and recognize the way that we, we often think about truth and lies. So we, I think we kind of set them up in this, um, like a binary, like one facing the other. They're fully separate, they're easily identified, like there's no spectrum, it's just like two opposite things. When I was preparing for this sermon and as we're preparing for this series, um, I looked a lot at the outlines of similar series um, preached in the past by other churches. And I say this with no disrespect or, or intention um, to say that what we're doing is inherently better. Really, hear me, I'm not. Um, but it was interesting that many of these series were set up in this very binary way. So it's like, um, here's a lie, let's name it. Now, here's the truth that confronts and combats that lie, usually in a single Bible verse. Don't get me wrong, scripture is important, scripture is powerful, and we are gonna talk more about that as this series goes on. But discerning between lies and truth is not quite this easy, I don't think, in reality. It's really this neat. We've already talked about how many lies actually contain truth or how many lies actually are mostly truth and then a little bit of a lie. And then it messes up the whole thing. They're all mixed up together. It's like swimming in brackish water. You can't separate them. So as a staff, we've been talking about this series, we've been thinking through these ideas, and um, in our preaching meeting this week, uh, Matthew articulated this desire for discernment and the how of this series really, really clearly I wrote it down because just verbatim, it's, it's so good. This is what he said. I mean that with sincerity. He said, if we want to hear truth, we have to attune our ear to the one who speaks truth. If we want to hear truth, we have to attune our ear to the one who speaks truth. We don't just combat lies with intellectual affirmations, though that's important. It's not the whole. That's not the whole. There is one who speaks truth. There is one who only speaks truth. Jesus was the embodiment of truth. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, he sent the gift of the Spirit, described in the Gospel of John as the Spirit of truth. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And we remember and we celebrate the events in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples and enabled them to speak in different languages so that others could hear the gospel in their native tongue. The text says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We remember and we celebrate the work of the Spirit then and we look eagerly to what the Spirit is doing now. The Spirit of truth The spirit that meets us where we are and also leads us into truth. The spirit of God whose presence has something to say about the false narratives that play on repeat in our heads and in our hearts and in our lives. How are we attuning ourselves to the spirit? This is a question we've been asking a lot this year. What does it mean to follow the spirit? What does it mean to recognize the spirit? What does it mean to discern where she's going, what she's saying, how she is leading us? How do we capture lies and take them captive to the spirit of truth? How do you even get an earworm out of your head? My earworm internet reading did offer a couple of ways to get rid of one. I'll share those with you here now, you're welcome. (laughs) So when there's a melody on loop and it's stuck in your head on repeat, there are two suggestions the internet has given to try to cut it off, okay? So first, if if a part of a song loops and loops and gets stuck in your head, the first thing you can do is you can listen to the entire song, the whole song. So usually an earworm is the catchiest, it's the stickiest part of a song that gets stuck in your head. And because your brain doesn't have the whole context for it, because it can't remember the whole song at once to loop it, part of the song turns into the earworm. And listening to the whole song can break the earworm cycle because it gives your brain the larger context. And the earworm loses its power because it's no longer isolated. One site said, very scientifically, since earworms are usually only a fragment of music, playing the tune all the way through can help break the loop. Lies are often partial truths. They are part truths with a twist. As we attune ourselves to the one who speaks truth, we are reminded of the whole truth and we are able to see the lie for what it is which is just an incomplete, sticky little hook. This can look a lot of different ways, right? It can be reading or memorizing scripture, certainly. It can be surrounding yourself with a community of people who are committed to truth-telling and all the ways that they are able to do that, who remind you of the truth when you can't remember it. It can be remembering the ways that you've seen and experienced truth and the spirit of truth in the past in order to put the lie in its proper context. It can look a lot of different ways. But we need to listen to the whole song. So the second remedy to getting an earworm out of your head when it's stuck in there is to walk at a different pace. When there's a song stuck in our heads, as I said at the start of this message, we can find ourselves singing out loud without realizing it, and we can even begin walking to the internal beat, repeating itself in our heads without even realizing it. So walking at a different pace disturbs our memory of the musical tempo and it can actually interrupt and end the automatic mental loop of an earworm. As we consider how the spirit of truth interrupts the false scripts that repeat in us, I'm reminded of a word in Galatians in which Paul exhorts the church writing, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Friends, the spirit moves at a different pace. And we don't drift into the spirit's steps. We don't drift into truth. If we want to hear truth, we have to attune our ear to the one who speaks truth. If we want to change the pace, we have to get in step with the one who guides us into truth. Now, these aren't easy or complete or pretty little build-up answers, and I know that, and that's frustrating, and I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. but they're not quick fixes. They're not even simple formulas on what it means to discern truth and lies, and they're not meant to be. I recognize that there are still question marks and floating ideas as we reach the end of this sermon. This is the work that we are called to do. This is what we're gonna be exploring together in this series, and I'm eager to jump in and learn with you. I want to encourage and challenge you to pray. I want to encourage you to to engage, to be honest as we together seek what it looks like to name the lies and what it looks like to hear the whole truth and be in step with the Spirit. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we call on you today We recognize that you are with us and we continue to call upon your promise to stay with us. God, you are not unfamiliar with the world that we live in. You are not unfamiliar with the way that we are built, with the way that our brains work, our hearts, our, um, the way that um, once something gets in to our mental rhythms, how it can affect everything. We recognize you as creator We recognize and confess to you the ways that we are just susceptible little humans who uh, are ready to, um, to twist truth or to accept twisted truth, um, either because it benefits us or because we don't know any better. And we ask you, God, to teach us. We ask you to guide us as we look towards the next few weeks of talking about this together as a community, uh, on Sundays and in our small groups, God, we ask for your presence and your guidance. We know that you are already there. You're already in each of the small group gatherings. You're already in each of the Sunday sermons. You are already in each of the, the ways that we are gonna recognize how we struggle with this. We know that you're there, God. And we still ask you to, in your mercy, Meet us where we are. Would you guide us into truth? Would you reveal to us the ways that um, we're walking at the wrong pace? I pray, God, for uh, that your spirit would create safety as we talk about these things over the next few weeks. God, and we, um, we call upon you to to heal the ways that lies have just um, torn up the things that, uh, that make you sad too in us. So we give you, uh, we give you our, our limits as human beings and we ask you again to guide and teach us. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you for the spirit of truth. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.